can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long tongue liar, go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell them that God's gonna cut you down. Tell them that God's gonna cut you down. Tell them that God's gonna cut you down. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. If we've never met, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone. I want to warn you, I had a full bottle of Coke and uh, just feel like I'm buzzing all over. I don't know what they put in that stuff, but it just hits different. Hits different than the usual Coke. Um, but it is what it is. So uh, I, I just said to Brian, we've got to do a Johnny Cash song at some point. Uh, Brian's voice, I mean, J Brian can do a Johnny Cash. He does a mean Neil Diamond. Uh, I said, well, I'll build a sermon around the song. I know that's a horrible thing to do, but uh, we just, just got to find a way to do a Johnny Cash song. But, uh, so we're jumping into the book of Judges today. We're going to spend the next six or seven weeks on that this summer. Uh, but first, you guys remember that one kid in school? We had our high schoolers up here. That, they're done with their group projects, at least for now. Uh, they've been through that. Remember that one kid in school? When they were in your group project, man, it opened up a whole world of possibilities, right? All of a sudden, an A became realistic. Before then, you, here's what you always, you always make sure one of your best buddies is in that group with you. At least it's just the two of us. And then usually a third kid that you've known since kindergarten, but you still can't remember their name because you're just that big of a jerk, right? And so, so there's kind of the, the three or four of you, and you're thinking, all right, worst case scenario, we're going to battle through this. We'll do what we got to do. You're kind of clever. Your dad's pretty smart. Like, we're going we're gonna to piece this thing together. We're going to do nothing for the first three weeks, and the last two days will be miserable, but we're going to find a way to make this work one way or the other, and then they get added to your group. Game changer, right? Everything. This person is motivated. They're hardworking. They're brilliant. You know they're better than you. They know they're better than you. And everybody's cool with that, right? They're, let's just not upset that balance, right? And, and, and in school, you're always going to do what's asked of you, right? Even if you're not the greatest student, you're going to find a way to just turn in enough things, get by, make sure that things get done. But all of a sudden with them, your project isn't just going to be an A. They're going to put it in the trophy case next to the state championship from the class of 93. They're, like, things are different when that person is in your group. Now, some of you slept through high school. You made it, but you slept through it, and so you're like, Group project? We had to do group projects in school? I don't remember any of that. So for those of you guys, this is the QB transfer from out of state, right? And all of a sudden, you went from a 5-4 and four team to a contender. Or this is, this is the ringer in your golf scramble team, where you showed up. Initially, you're thinking, I'm just going to have a couple cold pops, and we're going to have a great afternoon with this. But now, now you're drinking Gatorade and energy drinks, because you're like, we're in this. Like, we have a chance to win this. This is... This is the home renovation guru who just retired. He's bored and he can't wait to help you with your home project, right? So, so this is that game changer person. When they show up, anything is possible. And it's pretty awesome to be a part of it. Sometimes a bit of a relief to be a part of it because they're going to carry you through. But it's awesome to be a part. Like, I get to see this. I get to be a part of this. Thank goodness this isn't all on me. This was about to be a disaster, but now we've got some options, right? We have an opportunity, but all we have to do is acknowledge this person and welcome them in and allow them to kind of lead us through what we're doing. So that experience, 
that type of a moment, that type of a decision to welcome them, that is similar to what we're going to see throughout the book of Judges in this series where people have some pretty big decisions to make and when God shows up, things change a little bit. So the book of Judges, we, we haven't spent a ton of time in that book. We've done the first couple chapters a little bit when it comes to generational type things. But just to kind of give you an idea, because I was thinking through, okay, when we start talking about some of these names, some of them are going to be unfamiliar even to those who have been in church forever. But as I start talking about people like Moses and Joshua, if these names sound familiar, number one, you got to go back to being, start reading, hit Genesis, hit Exodus. Some of the sets of foundation, not just for the Old Testament, but for the New Testament and even us now as we pursue faith. Um, but judges in particular, start reading, uh, hit, hit a chapter a day for the next uh, three weeks or so and just stay ahead of us, kind of give you an idea of where we're going. And, and we can't hit every detail of all the different stories, so there's, there's some really good stuff in there. But just to kind of set the tone, so, so Judges is here. That's where we're going to be for the next month and a half. But go back a little bit, because maybe you've heard of Moses, right? Moses is the one who went back to Egypt, led the people out, Red Sea, wandering in the desert, takes them right up to the edge of the promised land, and then he has to step aside. Joshua has to step in. Joshua leads them across the Jordan River, a miraculous thing in itself, gets them to Jericho. They walk around that thing a bunch of times. The walls fall down. Now they're into the promised land, and they're taking part in all kinds of different battles. In fact, 13 major battles fought under Joshua's leadership and over 30 kings defeated. This was a time of heroes, right? This, this whole Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these whole stretch of events leading up to the book of Judges, this is a time of heroes, right? This is, these are great warriors. These are people of faith, people that we look up to even in our faith. We're talking about people like Joshua, people like Rahab, or uh, a guy named Phineas the priest. They are like our veterans of previous generations. You think about when I was growing up, it was those World War II vets, right? We had one, one guy in particular uh, in our church growing up where he was at Normandy. And he, we, we'd find ourselves kind of sitting with him, and he would talk about storming that beach, and one minute his friend was there, and the next second he was gone. Right? He had those kinds of stories. You just sit there going, oh my gosh, you were there, right? Like, like we see these black and white videos, you were there. We had another guy who was a Vietnam sniper. And you find yourself going, you did what to who at how many yards, right? Like, and, and he's got those type of stories. And then you fast forward to now, and you've got stories of SEAL Team 6 coming out of Afghanistan and Iraq and different things. You just think, man, these people were there, and they were doing it. Let me, let me just sit back and let you tell your stories. I'm going to just sit here in awe of you because you experienced it. We're talking about guys like Caleb. Caleb was uh, kind of a buddy of Joshua. He, he served under Moses. Um, and this is the kind of people we're talking about in this, this generation prior to the judges' generation. People like Caleb that we read about in Joshua 14 where it says, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua, and Caleb said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about me and you. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to explore the land. So Joshua, Caleb, and 10 others, back in the wilderness days, they were sent in as spies into the promised land. 10 came back with a negative report. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back with a report like, hey, it's tough, but we can do this, right? So Caleb was one of them. He was 40 at that time. He says, I brought back a report according to my convictions, but my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly, 
So on that day, Moses swore to me that the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle as I was then. Now give me this hill country. The Lord promised it to me. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. 85-year-old dude. And I want you to know 85 back then is like 85 now. He was old. <laughs> All right? I hate it. If you're sitting in here 85, I don't want to lie to you. It's old, okay? That's Caleb. He's like, I was strong at 40. Darn it, I am strong at 85. You send me into that hill country and I will take it. That'll be my land. That's the kind of heroes we're talking about from the time of Moses and Joshua and Caleb. These were people who were there. They saw God show up. They responded in obedience and they got to be a part of it. But now they're all gone. They're all gone. And here we are in the generation of judges. And within a generation, people had moved on from God. They had forgotten what he had done. They had uh, in many cases, not even been taught what God has done. It was a 360-degree failure on the part of that nation. And the cycle begins that would play out from now until the end of the Old Testament to the end of time in many ways. It's a cycle that starts with obedience. They enter the promised land. Hey, oh, this is fantastic. God has blessed us here. Uh, tribe of Benjamin is there. Tribe of Judah is there. Uh, all these, they're all, they've got their inheritance. Things are going great. They're obedient to God. And, things are, and all of a sudden, they forget. And in the midst of that blessing, they become disobedient. They forget about what God had done. They forget about God's law. They forget about what God had asked them to do and how to live as a nation, how to be married, how to handle diseases, how to handle crops, how to balance work and rest, all these different things that God had set up for them as a new nation, they turned and went a different way. They embraced the ways of the neighboring nations. They embraced the gods of the neighboring nations. And God, in their disobedience, in many cases brought about punishment, but sometimes just left them to the consequences of their actions. And sometimes it was small. Sometimes a neighboring king would come and just oppress them, enslave them, make them do what he wanted them to do. In some cases, their land was destroyed, and the best of the best were carried off into exile. Disobedience brought about consequences and a punishment. But in that punishment, in their pain, they would remember, oh my gosh, if we had only done what God had asked, and they cry out to him in many cases for hundreds of years, and God hears them and delivers them, and, del and in that deliverance, they turn back to obedience, and the cycle starts all over again. So in the midst of that, now as we enter Judges, in the midst of the cycle, there is no Moses. Remember, that was generations prior. There's no Joshua to lead them, no Caleb to rise up and be an example of a great warrior and man of faith for them. And so now a new generation has to experience this trial by fire. Because even though these experiences were happening as a consequence of their actions, God was allowing it to happen. So let's go to Judges 3, and we find out what it is that they're facing and how God wants to use it. It says that these are the nations, these nations that the Lord left to test all those Israelites who, had not, who have not experienced any of the wars of Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. He left the five rulers 
of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath. Did pretty good with those names, if I do say so myself. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now this is similar to Exodus. If you were to go back and read, as they were leaving Egypt, approaching the Red Sea, it actually says God could have taken them a much safer route away from some of the battles and, and struggles that they had to walk through, but God did it in order to train them and strengthen them and put them in a position where they had to make the right choice and to follow him. So they could either, they could be uh, strengthened and experience the miraculous late relationship of a life of faith lived for God, or they could experience the brokenness of choosing their own way. It was the same scenario and the same choice for their ancestors in the Exodus season, and now it's the same choice for them. And we see right away how they're going to respond, and we see the cycle begin to unfold right away in verse 6. As God allowed these nations to exist around them, it says that the Israelites took their daughters in marriage, gave their own daughters to their sons, and served their God. So how do they respond in this moment early in the book of Judges? Well, it says that they married the daughters of the neighboring evil nations. Nope, not what God said. They gave away their own daughters to the sons of the neighboring evil nations. Absolutely the opposite of what God said. And they began to worship the false gods of the neighboring evil nations, many times as a way of maintaining peace, right? If we just are able to kind of intermingle a little bit, this will be fine. That They'll kind of keep to their thing. We'll keep to our thing. And if we just mix it up a little bit, we'll, we'll keep things in a good spot. But that is the exact opposite of what God had asked of them. And so these would be some of their repetitive issues for generations beginning here in the book of Judges. And it kicks off the pattern that we just talked about. And so today, as we start to see God's people drifting further and further and further away from him, we meet the first of many individuals that God would raise up to eventually lead them back to him, lead them back to his way and what he had called them to. So we'll continue into Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 7, and we meet a guy named Othniel. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan, Rithaim, king of Aram, Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz. Kenaz was Caleb's younger brother, and Othniel saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave the king of Aram into the hands of Othniel who overpowered him so the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. So these judges, it, it, the, the word also means leaders, and so these aren't courtroom judges as we think of them today. These aren't Supreme Court justices. These are more regional political military leaders or deliverers for the people of God. Othniel, as we discover in this passage, and then you can read about him a little bit at the end of the book of Joshua, uh, Othniel is Caleb's nephew and son-in-law. Have fun with that one. 
So Othniel was then raised up to lead Israel out of enslavement to the king of Mesopotamia. So here's the thing about Othniel. Othniel was from the right family. But that's not why he succeeded. Othniel had the right skills and experience. We read in the book of Joshua that Caleb put out a challenge. Hey, if anybody can take this very difficult land and conquer it for me, I will give them my daughter in marriage. And so Othniel is the one who did So he's got experience. He's got some reputation. But that's not why he succeeded in this moment. Othniel had the right name. Now, some of you are, are, have either just had children, and they're still young enough you could change their name. They'll never even know, right? But, or, or if you're expecting kids in the future, whatever. Othniel means God's lion. Awesome name. It is a combination of Hebrew words that means exalted like a lion, violent like a lion, and God's word. And you push those things together, it means God's lion. And so if you're looking for a kid name, it's not a real popular one but it's sweet, right? Imagine explaining, well, how'd you pick Othniel? Because he's violent like a lion and he <laughs> clings to God's word. Like that's, that is an awesome thing to put on a kid. That'd be great. But that, even with his history, even with his family connections, even with his skills, with his amazing name, that's not why he succeeded. Othniel was called. Othniel was raised up. He had courage and he succeeded because of Judges 3.10, which we just read. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. See, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, before God came in the flesh, before death, before the resurrection, right? The Holy Spirit wasn't what didn't indwell people in the same way that it does now. See, we, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. When we give our lives to Christ, when we enter that relationship, his spirit goes into us and leads us, guides us, begins that work of sanctification within us. But this is a little bit different. What we see in the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit breathing on people or being stirred in people, uh, oftentimes entering people, people clothed with the Holy Spirit, people enabled by the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't appear, even when it's an indwelling, it doesn't appear to be a permanent or promised thing. We see in 1 Samuel 16 that King Saul, the first king of Israel, had the Holy Spirit's covering, but then lost it at some point. In Judges 16, that we'll get to in a few weeks, we find out that the Lord, it says the Lord was no longer with Samson. But when the Holy Spirit was present, when the Holy Spirit was active and empowering, watch out, because all of a sudden, anything became possible. Supernatural strength, supernatural wisdom, leadership, prophetic gifts. When the Holy Spirit covered people, as we see in the book of Judges, everything becomes possible. We even see a little bit of a hint of this type of interaction in the New Testament. This came up a few weeks ago when we hit on Acts 1. This, this difference between the Holy Spirit living in us and falling on us or resting on us. Because like I said, with Christ, His Spirit is in us to lead us and guide us and protect us and empower us, give us wisdom that can only be accessible in Him. But then we see in Acts chapter 1 at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit gets poured out in an extra measure on the apostles and they come out speaking in tongues and teaching all kinds of people in different languages. And that Holy Spirit, that covering, becomes the catalyst for any work of God in the lives of people. Even Paul in Thessalonians talks about how it's possible for that Spirit to be ignored or to be quenched if we don't allow Him to fill us. Or lead us. And so this is different than the Holy Spirit dwelling in us as believers. This is a covering falling on us. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And so that difference, that tension, that, that coming and going, that, that blessing and removing of the blessing 
We see in Judges very exciting times. We see amazing things happening, but we also see sad things at times. We see in the book of Judges gross and disturbing things at times. We see things that trigger the imagination as we read about some of these heroes and the miraculous things that God did through them, but we also things that tr- see things that trigger disgust at some of their decisions that are made throughout the book. We find some amazingly strong men and women of God who in many ways are only singled out because they are quite literally at the time the only people on the planet who care anything about what God might want. We find some people who when they're being led by the Spirit, they live miracles and they're pretty much unstoppable. But we find those same people who over the course of the same lifetime stray from God and become as much of a mess as anyone else. We're going to see that in the, in the lives of Gideon, in the life of Samson, where they have these amazing, miraculous moments as the Holy Spirit guides them and leads them and empowers them. And then at different points in their lives, they stray from that and it becomes an absolute mess. Even though they've experienced the best, they drift from it and they experience in many ways the worst. And as they pull away from God, they make the incorrect assumption that there's anything extraordinary about them. And ultimately, over time, some of these leaders and God's people in general, they end up looking no different than the rest of the broken humanity around them. And so what we see throughout Judges are examples of what is going to be lived, what's going to be experienced, what's going to be lost if we ignore the call and work and will of God in our lives. But at the same time, what we see in Judges is the opposite. What can be lived and what can be experienced and what can be accomplished when we're filled and led by the Spirit of God working in our lives and the lives of those that we love. And what we see is that before God, Othniel is just Caleb's son-in-law and nephew. And before God, we see that Gideon is quite literally just like Captain America before the Vita Ray chamber. We see that Samson, before God shows up, is just some idiot gym rat bro who probably skipped leg day, right? We see these guys who are absolutely nothing worth talking about until God shows up. Because when he did, something changed. God blessed them with his spirit, and when he did that, everything became possible. So what do we do with this? Both today, you know, with the the simple story of Othniel, but even throughout the book of Judges, into our lives. I want to go to 2 Corinthians. Um, And in chapter 3, I love this passage about kind of what how things unfold when God starts to reveal himself to people and and the difference between acknowledging him and experiencing him and, and and not experiencing that. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, kind of pick it up halfway through there. It says, To this day the veil remains when the old covenant has been read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is the veil taken away. Now when it's talking about that veil, it's going to reference Moses here. So the Old Testament, the, the, the Torah, the initial five books, and then the law that's revealed throughout that time, That was a blessing to the people of God. They were a brand new nation embarking on a new adventure, trying to figure out how to... Remember, they were in slavery for hundreds of years. Everything told to them, everything commanded them. And God says, here's how you live. Here's how you live in the ancient world. Here's how you handle diseases. Here's how you handle crops. Here's how you handle the work 
rest balance. Here's how you lead your family. Here's how you are to be married. Here's what you should avoid. All these different things designed to protect them and lead them and establish this culture of people who are walking with God on a regular basis. But in the midst of that, even something good can become a barrier. Even something set up to be for their benefit can be something to keep them from God himself because what they ended up doing was taking these things and just turning them into boxes to be checked and tasks to be completed, and they forgot about the relationship side. And so Paul is talking about how how Moses provided this, this great, amazing law from God and these things to help us experience the right relationship with him at that time. But the people, it became a veil to their eyes. All they saw were the rules. All they saw were the tasks. All they saw were the things that they had to be completed and, and, and make sure they were doing properly. And it became a veil across their eyes. They couldn't see God for who he was, and they couldn't experience Jesus for who he was. It says that same veil exists. And verse 15 says, even to this day when Moses is read, when the, the Old Testament is read, when the law is read, a veil covers their hearts. But it says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image. And so when it comes to this veil and when it comes to experiencing the Spirit of God in our lives, I, I, I want to kind of take this in stages because if you're here, if you're listening, and, and maybe it's just the beginning for you, right? Maybe you're still kind of in that skeptical phase, exploring, a little bit confused by what you're hearing, confused about some of the things that you see in Scripture, maybe seeking out, man, I, I feel like that I, I, I need to look into the spirituality thing. What is this God thing about? Who is Jesus? What's this all about? I want to challenge you. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. Turn your attention. Turn your face in his direction. Acknowledge the possibility. Acknowledge the reality of his existence. Recognize that if there is a creator, if there is a God, that he has something to say. And he loves you. And he cares about you. And if he is real, and if he did what this book says he did through Jesus, then that's worth exploring. Acknowledge him. If you find yourself confused, if you find yourself in those early stages, like, what is this all about? I I just want to challenge you. Acknowledge him. Turn your attention in his direction. And all of a sudden, that veil, that, that, that thing that's blocking us from seeing him and understanding him starts to be taken away. And then I'd say, if you've been willing to just give him your attention, then the next thing is, I want to challenge you. Believe. Believe what he says. Take that huge step of faith. Because if you've, if you've been exploring, I've I, I got to believe you've come across the truth. You've read it. You've heard it spoken. And maybe you're in that mode where, where there was once a lot of confusion. Now maybe there's a little bit of clarity where maybe once there were walls in place or, or hardness in your heart towards Jesus, now maybe there's something softening a little bit. Where maybe once you didn't quite get it, now maybe it's starting to make some sense. Maybe still a lot of questions, right? I, I got questions about this stuff. There, there's a whole lot going on in here that we're still trying to figure out. But that's all the work of God in your heart, his Holy Spirit starting to mess with you and soften your heart and open your eyes and remove the veil as you turn 
your attention in his direction, as you turn your face to him, he starts to reveal some things. And so if that's where you're at, I think it's time now to let him in. Recognize where you've been without him. Recognize who you could be with him. Believe. And then if you're already a believer at any stage of life, then the challenge becomes allow him to transform you. Give him your full reliance. Give him your full obedience to his word. Live life as an act of worship. And in those moments of weakness, in those moments of struggle, don't run in the opposite direction. Don't get caught in that cycle like the Israelites did so many times. Come back to him in repentance. Let him keep working on you. It is a process. It is a lifelong work of the Holy Spirit changing you from the inside out. And in that process, don't quench the work of the Holy Spirit like Paul talks about by ignoring him, by forgetting about him, by living life with too much loudness and chaos that you can't hear or decipher or listen to his voice. Allow him to transform you because when the veil is taken away and we step into a relationship with him, he wants you to experience the best. He wants you to experience life the way he's designed it. He has something for you. Will it require change sometimes? Absolutely. Will it require sacrifice on your part? Absolutely. Will it require you living and experiencing something different than you ever imagined? Absolutely. Will it require you being a little bit uncomfortable sometimes? Yes. Will it require, will it create questions in your mind about, am I supposed to go this way or that? Why am I feeling it? All these different questions. Yes, those will exist. But here's the great thing. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Judges. Judges 2.18 says this. Says that whenever the Lord raised up a leader, whenever he raised up someone like Othniel and said, I want you to take this step, I want you to go here instead of there, I want you to speak to the people, I want you to get uncomfortable, I want you to make a sacrifice on behalf of others. He, he says, whenever he raised someone up, whenever he called them up out of something, it says he was with the leader. The more you acknowledge him and turn in his direction, and the more you believe in him and lean into what he says, and the more you allow him to shape you and transform you, the more you'll experience his presence. And the more he'll perfectly equip you for the life that he's calling you to. Just like many of our tragic heroes that we're going to discover in the book of Judges, no one asked you to be anything amazing or special. No one asked you to be strong enough. No one asked you to be talented enough. No one asked you to be perfect enough. And God is simply asking you to embrace his presence in your life and let him build from there. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the example of some of these people in Scripture, specifically the book of Judges, where it's, it's messy it's gross, it's sad at times, and yet, God, it's exciting at times because what we see, God, is that when you show up, anything is possible, not just in their lives, not just thousands of years ago, but, God, in our lives today, in our families today, in our communities today, in the lives of those we love today. God, when you show up, everything is possible. God, help us to turn our faces in your direction. Help us to acknowledge you and when you've softened our hearts and revealed the truth to us, God, give us the courage to believe and step out in faith and begin that relationship with you. And then, God, as we walk with you, continue to mold us 
and shape us and transform us into the people that you've designed us to be. Help us to experience your best. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.